Hey, Harry. Hello, mate. Set smart TV to record the football later. You've got to be joking, haven't you? I haven't got a clue. But I tell you what, if you want to chuck a few quid on it, your best bet is to try that BetVictor app. Even I'm a whiz on that. Listen to Harry and make your best bet with BetVictor. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. Son, seen the remote? A very good day to you all. Welcome back to Bet Victor's Eye on La Liga as we once again look into the back pages. Well, it really is the front pages in Spain, isn't it? Of Spanish football and take a look at all the ongoing news coming out of La Liga. In particular, of course, the European transfer window shutting yesterday. I'm delighted to say that I, myself, Ollie Wilson, am joined by Jason Pettigrew to sit down and have a look back. That's what's been quite an interesting transfer window in La Liga, and it's had impacts, of course, all the way across Europe. There's plenty to dive into, Jace, but of course, we probably need to start where we left off last time, which is still just making sure we wrap up this whole Neymar transfer saga. First and foremost, so how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm very much better for being on here and the transfer window having shut. It's been boring as hell let's be honest <laughs> it seems to have gone on for an absolute age and there's really only been one topic of conversation for the last couple of weeks which is Neymar and I still don't think it's over I think we're going to be looking at a potential January transfer more likely a, a summer transfer so we've got all of those lovely rumours and counter rumours to come Okay, so no deal has taken place between Barcelona and PSG or Real Madrid and PSG. That's quite obvious by the fact that Neymar is still a Paris Saint-Germain player. However, we need to look at the winners and losers from this. I don't think, to be honest, when on first reflection, anybody really wins from this outcome. You've got a Barcelona side that made a real big push for Neymar and didn't get what they wanted and a fractured relationship perhaps has become even more so with Neymar's club, Paris Saint-Germain and Barcelona. You've got Real Madrid, who will now see themselves as fairly disappointed to have not got what they wanted in terms of bringing Neymar into the club, even though they've already brought in Eden Hazard. They haven't got rid of Bale this summer like they initially wanted to, although his two goals and the performance on the weekend aside, of course, from what happened at the end, has been pretty decent for Real Madrid so far this season. And Zidane's probably quite happy, actually, that Gareth Bale is still sticking around the club. And it doesn't really work for PSG either because they've just been dragged through a bidding war by two major clubs. And I don't know if it's seen as maybe a power coup in that we stood up to Real Madrid and Barcelona, which I don't think is the case. All they've seemingly done is put a ridiculous amount of money on Neymar's head. I think the asking price was around about £270 million, which is just extraordinary. Yeah, I think it was around that at the beginning. I think it was dropped quite considerably towards the end. But I, I also believe that the deal was never going to happen in this window. I always felt that whatever anybody came with to PSG, they, they were going to turn it down flat, which I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure it's, it's been in their best, best interests at all because Dan, they're left with a player that clearly doesn't want to be there. He's now come out and said that he, he's adamant he wants to go to Barcelona, not Real Madrid, and 
quite obviously Madrid have then come out and said oh, we didn't actually want him in the first place which we know to be untrue um, yeah it's a very odd situation he's now going to have to knuckle down and try and win things again with PSG where his head's elsewhere you've got players at Barcelona that have been dragged into it Ivan Rakitic Usman Dembele and Jean-Claire Toribo were apparently all offered as part of the deal towards the end of the window none of the three wanted to go I would probably say quite rightly you know just trying to be forced out in the the last stages of the window for a player that I'm not sure where I stand on whether they need him or not I think a team with Neymar in it when he's at his best is a team that's better but he does bring an awful lot of baggage with him I I think probably the issue now for, for Barcelona is that Usman Dembele has now really got to step up he's dug his heels in and said that he's not going this is where he wants to succeed He's had a while to do that already. I think he's probably got the best part of the next four months to really show everybody what he's about. To, I guess to look at his professionalism more than anything. We know that when he's on his game, he's, he's a fabulous player. And you can see why Barcelona spent the money they did for him. But his sort of off-field activities, his, um, his laziness, um, sort of lackadaisical when he comes into training... All of that's got to be pushed to one side and he's really got to go for it now. Otherwise, I think Barcelona have a legitimate argument to actually get rid of him at some point, either during or at the end of the season. The other two, I'm not sure how how things are going to go with them because, as I say, when a club makes it clear that you're surplus to requirements or they want to get rid of you, it doesn't really leave you with a nice feeling at all. And... uh, the other thing I want to mention as well is, is Malcolm being got rid of now he hardly ever really played under Valverde when he did play he did very very well in hindsight that was probably quite a poor decision by the club because you know given the chance he's proved his worth I think and uh, now he won't be able to do that of course at Barcelona Round well they, they hijacked that move didn't they with Malcolm because he was destined for Roma and then Barca decided to hijack it at the last minute and bringing him to the uh, the camp now instead which never and made sense when you look back at it and think that's exactly what they did. He was allegedly virtually on the plane to go to Roma and Barcelona came in. So you would have thought f- f- they would have then put him in the side or he'd have been a much more regular player than he was. And it's been really, for him, just a waste of a season. What's the difference between Malcolm and Dembele? Uh, why is Dembele going to get more of a chance? I mean... To me, they're very similar players, and there's not much difference between them, to be honest, in terms of the quality that they've produced when they've played for Barcelona. I think probably in my opinion is that Dembélé's got another level he can go to. I think when he's really on it, you could say he's world-class. It, the, the problem is, is he's not on it often enough. I think that's probably the main difference. I agree with you that they're both very similar players. They're both quick. Uh, they've got a reasonable eye for goal. I guess Malcolm just didn't fit into to their plans, but Dem- Dembele's going the right way of being pushed out the door as well, so we'll just have to see. And with Coutinho obviously leaving as well on loan, potentially signing for Bayern next season, that's two very, very expensive mistakes if Dembele goes as well. They've shifted a fair bit of dead wood as well of Barcelona, not just Malcolm, but... Sillison as well, who was probably costing a fair bit at the club, has now been moved on to Valencia, which is a great pickup for Valencia, to be honest. Andre Gomez moving off to Everton. Paco Alcacer completing a move permanently to 
Dortmund. I mean, they've been able to at least recuperate a bit of cash this year, which helps out with financial fair play. They've allowed someone like Thomas Vermaelen to go as well and make this move to Vissel Kobe and try and see out his career over in Japan. So they have done a bit of business going the other way to ensure that they've taken some of the pressure off quite a large potential squad and removed people that are surplus to requirements. But they still spent £108 million on Anton Griezmann. They still brought in Frankie de Jong for around about £70 million or so. And they brought in Neto as well from Valencia coming the other way for, what, £25 million. So let's, there's let's not forget Junior Firpo as well. But yeah. that quartet of players actually isn't isn't that bad. I'm I'm as a Barcelona fan, I'm quite happy with those four players. And I think had that have been the four players that Barcelona were going to get for the window, most Barcelona fans would would have been happy with that. I just think the whole Neymar thing came out of the blue once De Ligt turned Barcelona down, and then there was a bit of money freed up, and it, it just became a bit of a bun fight in the end. Yeah, very peculiar. The other person that doesn't actually win in all this is obviously Neymar, because he doesn't want to be at Paris Saint-Germain, wants to be at Barcelona, hasn't been able to push a move through. He's probably going to end up just sulking. I mean, he comes across as the kind of player that is just going to end up sitting and sulking and not enjoy his time at Paris Saint-Germain. And you're going to have a big character like Icardi going in there. I mean, that Neymar versus Icardi could tear a dressing room apart if Neymar's in a bad mood and Icardi is let's just say, the same sort of mentality that he's been at Inter, which has been upsetting a lot of people. Yeah, well, it's not, people not good for the French well, side. No, no, but many people will say where Neymar's concerned, you know, it serves him right. He, he knew what he was getting into <laughs> when, he, when he left Barcelona. I mean, the, there really was no need for him to leave Barcelona. It was a fantastic squad that he was playing with. It was this desire or belief that if he, would, if he moved away from the club, that he'd step out of Messi's shadow and become uh, Ballon d'Or probably within two or three years. But it's it's been just really a, a waste of two years for him. And you know, no wonder he wants to come back. Yeah, well, to get to that sort of level, you kind of need to sit your turn behind someone like Messi and learn a bit more from him rather than just be wanting to jump out and escape away from it and be the main centre of attention straight away. It's just reeking of childish arrogance the last few years of Neymar and his career. And I think I think you'd be very fair to say he's got exactly what he deserves. Um, yeah. Talking talking of players that are getting what they deserve, Gareth Bale, sticking it out, saying he wants to play in this Real Madrid side, ended up not moving to China, which a lot of people were 100% ready to chastise him for. Uh, hasn't had a move to the English Premier League. Nobody really wants to bring him in, particularly for the money that he would probably be asking for. And now he's a key figure in the start of Zinedine Zidane's season. But looking at Real Madrid's transfer window, there are some people around Los Blancos, Jason, that are a bit unhappy by what's gone on. But they've brought in a large amount of quality for a lot of money, and yet still people aren't satisfied with the fact that they haven't been able to make that final move and bring in Neymar as well. Yeah, I think, really, they've not been very lucky with injuries at the start of this season. I think they've got nine injuries now, which, again, smacks of what happened at the beginning of the last season with Zidane. I think we did mention on the pod once before, you know, what is going wrong with the fitness there. But that aside, you've got the, the new players that have been brought in. Rodrigo's been dumped in the Castilla side, which I find quite odd. Uh, Militao and Mendy have, have been playing a bit. Jovic hasn't played as much as probably what we expected. Uh, 
Um, I think he was injured, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the season. Hazard is still injured. Had Bale not been there, they'd be a lot worse off than they are now. And they haven't really set the league alight in their first few games either. I think the real issue has been that the, this revolution was promised, wasn't it? And it's been nothing of the sort. Zidane has this preference, for whatever reason, and only he knows, to play the old guard. And it's the same old Madrid. I think you know, we've said it many times already, there needs to be a bit of a shake-up. I still remember even when Florentino Perez came out and said that they were moving away from the Galactico era and they were going to be concentrating on youth from now on. And yet Odegaard, Ceballos, Mayoral, Vallejo and Regulon and more are all on loan. So what does that say? I mean, I just don't know what's going on there, to be honest. Yeah, um, Real Madrid and their transfer policy in the last however many years has always been slightly peculiar. They have been able to at least shift off Kayla Navas uh, away to Paris Saint-Germain. A bit of business that has been able to be done between PSG and Real Madrid. feel very sorry for Ariola at PSG, who's been waiting a long time to slowly get himself up to being the number one keeper, this young goalkeeper at Paris Saint-Germain. And then a fantastic shot stopper like Kayla Navas suddenly becomes available on the market and PSG are more than happy to snap him up. They too have been able to shift some of the uh, the dead weight around the team in terms of Kovacic and Marcos Llorente as well. Players that haven't been in the first side and certainly aren't really considered to be wanted and surplus to requirements at the club. Made a decent bit of money off that. And um, I think they've had a peculiar but arguably a more successful transfer window than Barcelona, Real Madrid. You know, they wanted to go and get a star player. They did with Eden Hazard. That's who they wanted at the beginning of the window and that's who they ended up getting. They've been lucky that it's fortuitous that Bale hasn't gone. They wanted to bring in Lukijovic and they've done that. They wanted a secondary striker for, to support Benzema and Benzema's playing well enough at the start of this campaign to be able to get it done. So... I think ultimately all of them have now got to prove as Bale is, but the, the likes of Hazard... There's a huge expectation on all of them now to, to prove themselves. But Zidane also has to give them the opportunities to be able to do so. You know, it's no use signing these players and then keeping them to the side or just bringing them in every so often. You know, you spend 300 million euros plus, you've got to be playing these players. So I get, you know, we can look at it in a few weeks' time and see where they're at then. But, you know, Real Madrid have got to be up there challenging by then. Otherwise, they, I, I can see Zidane being ousted before Christmas. Okay, so who's had the best window then in Spain so far? I think I know who you're going to say, but oh. let's hear it officially then. Absolutely, no doubt. Atletico Madrid. I mean, no one comes close in my opinion. I look at the you know, top of the league, the only side in the league at the moment with a 100% record, lost none of their fighting spirit, playing as a team already. And, you know, João Felix, I know I called him Wow Felix before, I'm going to stick with that one. He's been absolutely sensational for Atleti so far. And really, all of the players that have come in, Kieran Trippier has got a new lease of life. Uh, Marcos Lorente, you mentioned Mario. Everything's just gone right. And when you think of the players that they lost, the likes of Griezmann, the likes of Lucas Hernandez, Rodri, to a lesser extent because of their age, Felipe Luis and Juan Fran, but you know, still good players, Godin as well. I mean, they've done sensational work. And I think there's about a £60 million, uh, sorry, 60 million Euro profit that they have as well. I mean, it, it can't get any better. 
yeah, they've strengthened in all the right areas. They've got a wonder kid who's seemingly looking like he's worth every penny at the moment for 113 million in Israel Felix. We'll see how his career continues. Marcos Lorente, as you mentioned, coming in. I'm still not convinced by him, but the start to the season for Atletico, I guess, speaks for itself with the likes of Kieran Trippier coming in as well, looking very comfortable. He had an interview with um, uh, Tom Olner, actually, who was on the show the other day this week and, and said he's just absolutely really enjoying being in Spain, Kieran Trippier, and he's loving working for Diego Simeone because he's the best coach in Spain to be a defender for. And he's probably the best coach in Spain to play for at this point. The way he acts still on the sideline, the way he's so passionate. And you have to give Diego Simeone credit as well because a lot of people have said for a number of years that Simeone is just this barker on the sideline and a rallier of men. And he's actually showing, and he's shown over the years in general, his ability to plan, prepare with transfers and go on to a next level. And he's done it again this summer when a lot of people thought, including myself, that he hadn't had the time to you know, breed in players to make that switch over steadily like he has done in the past. He's had to do it quickly, but he's done a very good job of it. And I think, testament to him as well, Atleti are now always in the shake-up in terms of La Liga and stuff like that. It's it's a, a three-team league, as it were, rather than a two-horse race. It's always been about Barcelona and Real Madrid before, but now Atleti are definitely in that conversation. And I think that is why Simeone is so important to them, because he seems to, you know, season after season, just he, he gets that extra bit out of all of the players that play for him. He's, his personality is infectious. You know, he, he's clearly a, a dominating personality, but players will give their lives for him. You know, you, you never see, or rarely do you see people that just don't want to play for him because he just he lives and breathes the game with the player. Out of the top three then in La Liga, or the big three in La Liga, out of those three managers, is Simeone the best? Um. Yeah, I mean, it depends which way you look at it. If you look at it on trophies, one being the best, then you hand it, I guess, to Zidane from his first period, currently um, Valverde. I think just looking at them just as individuals and what they bring, I'd say probably Simeone is the best in. I mean, Simeone would have sorted out that Barcelona defence very quickly. You, you get the feeling that would have been the first thing he'd gone in and, and got sorted when they, for instance, had those fullback problems a few years ago and made sure that they had a, a solid centre-back pairing that worked day in, day out, like they did when it was Piquet and Puyol. And, and Zidane, I, I don't think Simeone would have taken the same amount of grief from that Real Madrid dressing room as Zidane has, which forced him to go, and then he's come back again. I, I just think Simeone would probably have gone into both Barcelona and Real Madrid and done a very good job of taking control. But in the same way, he also has a lot of control at Atletico Madrid. You know, he doesn't have to deal with the politics quite so much as as managers at the big two do. So it, it's very difficult to completely say. But tactically, he's always been good at getting results against the other two sides in, in title races. He's, I think he's got more tactical now than Zidane has. I think that's very clear. And he's probably got more authority over the dressing room than Valverde has at Barcelona. So I think on that basis, yeah, he probably could go into probably either of those and do as as good a job. But like you say, I mean, there's a lot of politics at those two clubs that, I mean, there probably are politics at most clubs in Spain, but not to the degree of the big two. So, you know, were he to move, which is unlikely, but hypothetically were he to yeah, move, yeah. whether he'd enjoy that sort of environment is another sort of discussion point entirely. 
What about outside of the big three then? There's been a lot of teams that have made a lot of moves in Spain. We've we've harked on about Sevilla this summer and the transfer window that they've had in terms of the departures of Ben Yedder and Sarabia, Quincy Proms, who, you know, maybe not as influential, but still a useful player to have. Uh, but bringing in the likes of uh, Lucas Campos from, from Marseille, Ronnie Lopez from Monaco, getting him out of a horrible situation down there on the south coast of France. Uh, they've, they haven't done too badly in trying to replace what they've lost this summer. Uh, Luke de Jong as well coming in from PSV Eindhoven. It's a mixture of experience and ability and picking up a centre forward like uh, Javier Hernandez as well, which is a very useful tool, I think, to have in a front line, the Mexican forward. Yeah, I mean, I think they've gone for it, haven't they? I think they had to. You know, Lovatecki's come in and ex- explained quite clearly what he wants. And he's had a sports team director in Monchi that's been very sympathetic to that. And, and who's said, very good in this sort of a situation. I mean, the market is Monchi's playground, really. I think the only issue perhaps Lovatecki may have across the course of the season will be how well he integrates them all together. Because I think it, I'm not sure if it was a dozen signings. I mean, it's certainly well up there maybe even double figures when you get that many people coming in possibly you get the new manager bounce at the start of the season and they're doing well seven points already joint second maybe three or four months time we'll see how they get on I think I mean I've liked watching them already this season you can definitely see Lopetegui's effect they're playing some really bright expansive stuff they're they're pleasing on the eye And, and the new signings thus far have sort of bedded down fairly well. But, you know, when the big games come along and your international breaks disrupt the flow and stuff like that, as we've got coming up this weekend, you know, that's when we'll get to see you know, whether they've got legs. I'd, yeah, I'd like to see them do very well this season. And only a one-all draw on the weekend against Celta de Vigo. Doesn't exactly scream world beaters either, does it, for, for Sevilla? It's a slight stumble and a little blip on what's been a, a bright start to the campaign so far. But... Everybody else seems to be having those sorts of stumbles as well, except for Atletico Madrid, who, as you mentioned, the only side with three wins in three. We do have the international break coming up in, as well. It's almost difficult, more difficult for the bigger sides because they lose a lot of those players on the international breaks and have to then drag a squad back together and get it all set and ready and refocused. And obviously players from South America go off on a little further afield as well on these international breaks at times. But the La Liga title race situation is just starting to set up quite nicely after the uh, the blips from Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's quite inviting to some of the other clubs. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, Barcelona are down in eighth at the moment, Real Madrid are in fifth. I know it's only three games played, but it's the narrative that everyone's talking about, oh, you know, the top two aren't up there already. It sort of gives the others hope. And if there were to be any other stumbles in the next sort of two or three games that keeps those two... Atleti not so much but keeps those two sort of down below the top three I mean other teams will fancy their chances you know whilst I hate to sort of cover old ground I'm always going to revert back to my point in previous pods that it's the consistency across the season where other teams have sort of failed to break into that top echelon of the table if if you can get the likes of Sevilla and maybe even Valencia even though they haven't had the best start if, if they can get some consistency behind them and the other Barcelona Real Madrid don't have the best season there's every chance we could see a surprising top five this season but it's the consistency and like Marcelino won't be happy at Valencia he signed Silison to replace Neto 
got Maxi Gomez and Dennis Cherishev. And we mentioned off air that this new signing they've got late in the window, Thierry Correo. As I understand it, his market value is less than 400,000, and yet they paid 10 million <laughs> for him. So I'd be really interested to see how that deal's gone down and why why it's happened where where are you um, getting that figure of 400,000 by the way I mean is this is this cahoots and uh, whispers from coming across from Spain is this what was where did you get these figures from no no it's come from contacts in Spain I can't give my contacts a good journalist oh, never, does. Never, right. never does that <laughs> but no I mean I'm going to delve into that one a bit more because that seems ridiculously overpriced if they've paid that for him and he, his genuine value is what we believe it to be any any other big winners, big losers from uh, from the transfer window, Jace? Has anybody put themselves in a real sticky situation now? I think the big losers have to be Espanyol. Um, they're right down the bottom of the table and uh, let two of their best players go. Their coach, David Gallego, doesn't really seem to have much of an idea. And when he took them over once before, he was only in the position for a few weeks before they demoted him back down to the B-side. And I can see that happening again if he doesn't get things um, working. Yeah, I mean, they've had a horrific start. And of the top sides down there, I mean, there are a couple of big names down there. In truth, there's Hafe down there as well. But we did say, didn't we, in a previous pod, that, you know, over the course of the season, the European football might hurt them. So they need to get up there quite quickly. But just, yeah, Espanyol for me, that's... Uh, that's an awful position to be in after just three games and no real stars having come in. So we'll see how things go for them. Yeah, they've got a whole international break to get over it with Spain taking on the Faroe Islands and Romania in the Euro 2020 qualifying group on the 5th and 8th of September, respectively. No major surprises really in terms of the call-ups as I'm looking at the Spanish squad right now. I have to admit, Jason, I'm very much off the ball this week. I'm not even sure what day it is. All I know is I need to be back at an airport tomorrow, but that's about it. But I'm all over the shop right now. The life, so of, a, the life of a jet setter. I mean, it, my, my heart bleeds for you, mate, really. It's it not glamorous. It really isn't glamorous. I swear to God, it's not like I'm gallivanting around the place and living the vida loca. I mean, it's a bit of fun sometimes, obviously, with the sport. But at the same time, I mean, you just don't know what time zone you're in half the time at the moment. But I'm never going to complain because, yeah, I get, to, I get to do this for a job. It's not bad. But... um. But yeah, all I'm saying is, uh, as I look at the Spain squad now, the call-ups, it's kind of what you'd expect, really, in terms of the names that are in there. Just Thiago, Rodri, Dani Ceballos. Uh, nobody making... Oh, uh, Paulo Sarabia could make his first uh, appearance for the national team, as could Unai Nunez as well, of Athletic Club. But, yeah, I mean, you'll have De Gea and Kepa Ariza Balega, uh, as well as Paulo Lopez will be between the posts, but yeah, it's very much a similar looking side and, and two teams, Faroe Islands and Romania that will Spain will be expected to get the job done against. I guess we'll talk about those, of course, uh, in about a week's time or so. Remember, for all of your UEFA Euro 2020 qualifying odds, get on to betvictor.com. That's right. Get on to betvictor.com. You must be 18 or over to gamble. Please gamble responsibly. For more information on that, please visit gamblebeaware.com. Uh, Jace. Any score predictions for the Faroe Islands, Romania? I mean, four, five past the Faroe Islands at least, minimum? Yeah, I would say at least that, um, with the greatest respect to those two teams, but it should be a walk in the park, frankly. 
Well, I look forward to uh, discussing with you from somewhere else in the on the planet about how Roberto Moreno is on the brink of being dropped because he's ballsed up completely against the Faroe Islands and Romania in about seven days' time or so, man. Thanks for having a chat and uh, guiding me through the Spanish transfer window, man. No problem. Safe flight. Speak to you next week. Cheers, boss. Uh, and thanks to all of you as well for listening. Get on to anchor.com. That's our host where you can uh, download the show from there and follow us, like us, subscribe as well as on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other good podcast outlets as well. As I say, get on to betvictor.com. You can get onto their Twitter as well, at betvictor. You can follow Jason on Twitter as well, at Jason Pettigrove, or myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson, if you so wish. Until the next time, enjoy the Spanish football. Take care, and we'll be back for more Eye on the Liga very soon. <laughs>